Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Your first goal is just to get through the first week, and anyone who says otherwise is lying. You know, you're everyone's biggest fear is you just don't want to go home the first week. You just you don't want to go there and just have a disaster and and be remembered for it not going well. Hello and welcome back to the Bake Down podcast. My name is Josh Landy. I'm the founder of Bake with a Legend. We offer events where people can come and bake with former Great British Bake Off stars. And we can do that online at the moment. If you're interested in doing that, do check out our website, bakewithalegend.com. We've even got some classes where you can sign up. You don't have to be part of a group. So if you just want to join yourself, there are classes you can do that. And by the magic of Zoom, we'll spend about an hour and a half teaching you with our various bakers. Now, thank you. Firstly, I must say there were some really lovely comments that we received and can received after the podcast last week. And I was equally delighted to be joined by Dan Beasley-Harling. Dan was on Series 9 of The Great British Bake Off, and he had a really interesting story to tell about his journey, which I found quite different to Karen's, actually. I hope you'll enjoy listening to it. If you do have any more questions you're hoping that I can pose to our various bakers in weeks ahead, do get in touch with anything you'd like. The Bakedown at bakewithalegend.com is where you can reach me. I firstly started by asking Dan how he was doing in this lockdown alongside his partner and his two kids. Obviously, there's been plenty of people who've realised lately that teachers, you know, maybe don't don't get enough credit for, for the work that they do. Um, it's not always easy to look after your own kids, but um, certainly to teach them is is not so easy. But Again, at the same time, it's also lovely to spend time with the family. So it's it's been a real double-edged sword, uh, this lockdown, because it's been so lovely to see them so much. But again, you know, quite taxing to, to uh, particularly if you've got school-age kids, to try and get them to sit down and, and do some learning, because they're going to be missing out on a, on a whole term's worth of education at this rate. So, um, yeah, stressful times, but, um, you know, there are people a lot worse off than I, so um, not too much to complain about my end. 
And Dan, for those listening, they may remember from watching on the show, but you've got two kids. Yeah, so I've got a, um, my daughter is sort of seven, seven, seven and a half, um, and my little boy just turned five. So they're, they're both, um, they're both school age. Um, so we're doing English and maths every day. We've got uh, various subjects to cover as well. But um, baking, you know, covers science, art, you know, <laughs> maths, doing the weighing. So, uh, yeah, we'll do, we'll do some baking and hopefully they'll learn something from that. Absolutely. I'm sure they're learning loads from you, Dan. And just before we start, were your kids old enough to know that you were on TV and were they excited by that? Yeah, I don't. To be honest, I don't. They understood that I was on the TV, you know, so the TV in front of us. But they didn't they didn't really have a concept of sort of how big the show was or the fact that it was sort of a live event that represented sort of a moment in culture. So they didn't really get the sense of it. But my daughter thinks that she is famous because she appeared on television for, for a few minutes. So, if, you know, if she catches someone looking at her in the playground, she'll say, maybe maybe they're, they're looking at me because I'm famous. <laughs> so she's, she's certainly aware that it was, a, it was a, a big event that many people saw. Well, she is sort of famous, I guess. If it goes on like this, you might have to think about getting her an agent down. Yeah, well, she, she is quite determined that one day she will go on Bake Off as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, and she likes to tell her friends that her dad is, uh, famous and, uh, I don't think, uh, the other kids are very impressed, sadly. <laughs> so what are we saying, Dan? Bake Off 2035, that's when we can expect to see her, maybe? Well, could be. I mean, well, what, I don't know when Junior Bake Off's, what, what ages are they on Junior Bake Off? Is it about 10 they start, 10, 11? So maybe just a few years, you never know. That's true, but I don't know if you can be on Junior and Senior Bake Off. Maybe we just haven't had that problem yet. I don't know. I don't know. Well, maybe she'll be the first. I like the idea of that. And that would be a first, a a moment of cultural history. That would be TV gold. I can see it now. Well, Dan, we've probably got 40 minutes now to hear about your story and all about your interest in baking. So take us back to the start. Where did your interest in baking begin? And when did you think this might be something I'm really good at? Sure. Um, well, I learned to bake as a child, as you know, I think most people do. You know, your mum will take you in the kitchen and teach you how to make flapjacks and cupcakes and various bits and pieces. So I, I sort of baked from a young age, but then sort of fallen out of out of doing it uh, as I got older and then it was really when I had kids or even sort of slightly before I had kids when I sort of realized that I was going to you know we decided I was going to be the stay-at-home parent and um, I was going to be responsible for creating the home life and managing the home life and I sort of thought well I'm going to have to learn to be an amazing cook and baker and um, and so I sort of threw myself into it and Baking was something that I that sort of came to me very naturally and I really, really enjoyed. And I sort of it became my 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 main hobby um, ever since just before the kids were born. So I'd probably been baking very, very regularly for about six, maybe six or seven years before I was on the Bake Off. Um, so it's sort of, it was, it was my main hobby, if you like. And that's, that's kind of what inspired me to apply for the Bake Off in the first place was because I think you you referenced it last week on your, on your podcast with Karen, that Luke had said, 
that being on Bake Off is sort of the FA Cup final of baking. And I think, you know, it's a very that's that's the thing. If you if you bake an amazing cake, people will say to you, oh, that's amazing. You could go on Bake Off. It's sort of, you know, it's it's sort of the ultimate. If you're a baker, this is the thing you can do. You can go on Bake Off if you're good enough. And I sort of applied because I thought, you know, I got so many compliments about my baking and and everyone's saying, oh, this is better than anything I could do. And, uh, you know, it sort of gives you a lovely feeling. And so many people said to me, you know, you should go on the Bake Off. And I thought, well, I don't know. I don't know if I could get on the Bake Off. I don't know if I'm good enough to do it. Um, And it, it, but that's what inspired me to apply. Just really just to see if I could get on the Bake Off, really. And um, it it didn't happen the first time for me. Uh, it actually took me three attempts to get on, but I did get on in the end. And that was quite a proud achievement, really. I think with anything in life, if you set out to achieve something and you grind away to achieve it and eventually do achieve it, it's it's a fantastic feeling. So it was a real, real thrill to be part of the show. So Dan, you mentioned there about third time lucky. Had something given you enough confidence from those first two attempts that made you think, I've got a good chance here going back for a third time. Well, to be, yeah, the first time I applied was an absolute disaster. Uh, I hadn't allowed myself enough time to get my bakes ready and I sort of left them all to the last minute and was still finishing them at, I think it was three o'clock in the morning and it wasn't going well. And yeah, so the first time I applied was an absolute disaster and I'm not surprised that they didn't uh, ask me to come back for further auditions. The previous year I'd applied and I'd got very, very close to getting on. And it was only really when I'm sure many people have discussed with you in the past. The the application process is incredibly long and it goes on over a period of weeks. And there's about 10 different steps to it. And I sort of got through every step of the um, application process. And then we started talking to them about, you know, the implication of being on TV and being in public life. And that's sort of when I started to have a few reservations and thought, oh, God, maybe this isn't a good idea. You know, it's lovely to be able to get on the show, but maybe I don't want to be in the public eye. And I think that really put a spanner into the works. And I wasn't invited to take part the previous year. But I I know that my reservations about being on TV had got in the way. So I've sort of beat myself up over that and what a a potentially wasted opportunity that was that I hadn't sort of you know been confidently pushing forward with with the application um but so the next year I I came out all guns blazing absolutely ready to take part and I I sort of knew because I got so close previously I knew that there was a very good chance I would get on if I could convince them that I that I really wanted to do it so um yeah luckily third time was the charm and I did manage to get on the show so that was a a very exciting moment. You touch upon there being in the public eye which I think is interesting so how conscious were you as a stay-at-home parent a gay man with two children of being perceived in a certain way and I wonder did you talk about it with your partner was there a point where either of you felt you don't need this I guess I'm asking how conscious you were of your backstory. Yeah, I I think, you know, almost to be honest, the first time I applied, I thought, you know, you know, yes, it's a baking competition, but it's also a reality TV show. And you need people who are sort of interesting or charismatic, you know, or bringing something that people are going to tune in for. And I knew that my background story was 
you know, at least on the surface level, quite an interesting background story. But, you know, you sort of think, okay, my decisions affect me and that's okay because I take the fallout for them. But then when you have sort of young kids, you know, especially young kids, you think, is this going to affect my children? And I think that was that was sort of the real concern is, you know, being on a programme like The Bake Off is lovely, but at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of a vanity thing you know, for me to try and take, to want to take part in it, to be like, look, I'm, I'm good at baking and I get to be sort of have this time where I'm celebrated for being, you know, good at the thing that I'm passionate about, but is it going to have any negative ramifications for my family? And that was a genuine concern. Um, and being on the bake wasn't an entirely pleasant experience, but actually it wasn't anything like as much as I feared it would be. So um, it was, you know, overall, it was a very positive experience, but I did have quite a few reservations about how it might potentially affect my family. Because, you know, as a, as a gay man, you sort of, you grow up understanding that, you know, not everyone is going to love you and love everything you do. And maybe a few people will say horrible things to you, but that's, you know, that's something that you take on yourself. And Obviously, you don't want to expose your children to anything that you don't have to expose them to. So that it, it was a concern a little bit. But luckily, it wasn't half as bad as I feared it might be. So I'm glad for that. So take us to the moment where you found out that you were going to be on the show. Were you at home? Were you mid-baking? What were you up to? I was at home. Um, I was baking. I believe I was baking bread at the time. Don't hold me to that. But yeah, I think I was I was baking. And yeah, it was, uh, it was, just, to be honest, it was one of those moments where it's kind of more relief than, than excitement because it's it, like really, and this is not an uncommon story. It's something that I've been working towards for so long that, you know, w when you sort of, w when you finally get it, it's just the relief of, oh God, this effort has been worth it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was an exciting time. And so the first phone call you made to let someone know, was that to Phil, your husband? Yeah. yeah, Phil was, I think Phil was very happy for me that I'd finally got on it. It's one of those things, it, you know, it'd been my, one of my favourite TV shows for years. And it was something that I talked about quite a lot. And ever since I sort of got so close the previous year, it was sort of been my mission to get on it next year. And it was, it was, it was, it was a relief that I'd finally managed to do the thing that I'd set out to do. And it was a fantastic feeling. And Philip was very happy for me because uh, obviously I'd achieved something I've been wanting to achieve for so long and also probably quite happy that he might not have to hear about it all the time much longer. <laughs> Although that hasn't quite happened because we still talk about Bake Off all the time. And presumably you must have felt some sense of relief because you've been telling us how much work it is even just to apply for the programme. And was there a little bit of you thinking, well, I'm glad I don't have to go through all that again? Or do you think if you hadn't gone, maybe you would have applied for a fourth time? Oh, God, I don't know. I don't know how to honestly answer that question. I mean, I know, you know, someone from the this previous year, Michelle, I auditioned with her twice, and she finally got on on her fourth attempt. So, you know, it, it's easy to stand here and go, oh, maybe I wouldn't have applied again. But to be honest, I think I probably would have done. It's a pride thing. It's just, it's nice to know that you could have done it. Um, so I think I probably would have just kept applying. I probably think I probably would have done. <laughs> Okay, so once you know you're going to be on the show, how much time were you spending practicing and doing as much as you possibly could before filming began? Oh, God. I mean, it was just once you find out you're on the show, it just becomes your whole life. 
and I, I don't think I'm alone in this. You know, everybody else who I've spoken to knows that feeling. You know, you sort of you immediately start panicking. You know, you get you get the um, you get the brief through, and you're like, right, how can I make this the most amazing thing possible? What's the most I can possibly squeeze into the time limit? What's you know what what's the best thing I can I can possibly make? Uh, I'll make ten different versions of it. I'll tweak it this way. I'll tweak it that way. And I think everybody. Uh, especially in the early weeks, you don't really have to do anything too incredible. But when you're in that environment, when you're in that environment, and you found out that you're going to be on the show, you don't know how good your work will have to be. You don't know how impressive it will have to be just to get you through the week. So everybody just immediately starts working at 100% capacity, and um, and just trying to create the most incredible things that they can. Because you know this moment is going to be. Uh, immortalized uh, forever, you know, that millions of people, I mean, it's something like 9 million people in the UK. And then, you know, who knows how many more on Netflix or wherever it goes around the world. So you know that this is going to be a moment where millions of eyes are upon you. And you just you have to get it right, you have to do something that it's not, it's not even about, you know, winning the show, it's about doing something that you can be proud of, because you know, that that people are going to remember you for what you do on that show. So it, you have to be confident that you're doing something you're going to be proud of looking back. So it's the pressure you put on yourself is absolutely astronomical. It's it's like nothing. It's it's such a weird thing because it's obviously it's such a joy to be able to be selected and be able to take part. But the pressure is just absolutely phenomenal. It's like nothing I'd ever experienced in my life or since. <laughs> So do you think that was reflective of all the contestants, everyone feeling that same pressure? I only ask, as I can imagine, someone who applies once and gets straight on, maybe they view it slightly differently to you because you've applied three times and you've been a fan of the show since its inception. So when you got there and you're in the hotel the night before, did you feel that same intensity amongst everyone or do you think possibly you took it or were taking it more seriously than some of the other contestants? I don't know. I think if you look at, there's also the, the the gap between what people say and and what they actually feel. You know, I think we all sort of tried to appear laid back about things, but I think you know, like sort of you know the the duck furiously pedalling under the surface. Uh, you know, I think we're all you know throwing ourselves into it utterly and completely and you can i think you can tell just by the amount of time people burst into tears how much it means to everyone and how hard they've worked for it and how much they've sacrificed to to be able to do the best job they possibly can i think you know there have been people who said oh i didn't i didn't do very much work for this but i'm i'm not sure how much that is true and how much that's bluster i think everyone is doing their absolute best to do the best job they can. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I mean, it's so tough to go through that process to even get onto the show. It feels like you won't decide to stop working hard when you are about to start filming. I just wondered, how conscious were you going into the show that the previous three winners when you went in had all been in their 30s? Because you were very talented. And did you think at any point, I can win this? Or was your mentality... What if I can get into the second half of the of the show, so finishing the top six, so to speak, or get a handshake or get a star baker, that would be great. And and looking back, it feels to me that you were someone that could have won it. I wonder what you feel looking back. Yeah. So I right. 
I never went into the show expecting to win it. And I think you'd have to be insane to go into it ex- expecting to win or thinking if I don't, you know, every like everyone's going to be disappointed if they don't do well. Um, but, you know, you don't know how good the other people are. You, you know, anyone can have a bad week. You know, you can't go into it thinking that you're going to win. My aim going into it was just do yourself proud. Look like you know what you're doing, you know. For me, the biggest fear was just to to take part in the show and leave feeling sort of incompetent, feeling like I've made myself look like I didn't deserve to be there. And especially, especially knowing that I had a sort of quote unquote interesting backstory, one of my big fears was that people would think, oh, this guy's only been selected because he's got an interesting backstory and actually he's not a good baker. So that was, that was my biggest fear going into it. And once I'd uh, done you know, sort of had a, a, a couple of weeks where I've, I'd done pretty well, then I felt better about it. My, the, Your first goal is just to get through the first week. And anyone who says otherwise is lying. You know, you're, everyone's biggest fears. You just don't want to go home the first week. You just you don't want to go there and just have a disaster and, and be remembered for it not going well. Um, I did have goals of, you know, I did want to win Star Baker. Um, I did want to be first in a technical. I did want to get a Hollywood handshake. Obviously, those are things we all want to happen. Um, if I did set a goal for myself, it was sort of I, I, what I said to myself was, if I can be Star Baker, I'll be happy with that. Because to me, that's a win. You know, you might not, you know, only one person can win the show, but you get several shots at being Star Baker. And I thought, you know, if I get to be Star Baker, then for me, I'll always have that. I'll always be able to say I was on the Bake Off and I was Star Baker. So, so that was sort of that was where my goal was, if you like. And I also thought, you know, if you can make it halfway through the show, then that's that's also a good thing. So those were sort of where my goals were. The goals continued to move as you as you you get better and and continue through the show but that's sort of where i was from the start i think i even said in the first episode you know if i could be star baker once i could i could leave here happy and uh fortunately i did just about manage that i managed to be star baker and i did manage to get a little bit more than halfway so overall it was it was a positive performance and as i said my biggest fear was just that i would sort of immediately mess up and then go home looking like I hadn't deserved to be there or, you know, people would think that I hadn't deserved to be there. So I think I did all right, all things considered. Dan, if I remember rightly, the first bit of feedback you got from Paul in the tent perhaps wasn't as positive as it could have been. If I remember rightly, he said something about your biscuits being quite pale. Did that knock your confidence and at that point, were you worried about getting through just the first week? I make these these biscuits, the, the regional biscuits we had to pick. And I picked a recipe that I make all the time. And I don't know. I mean, so what, when the, the judges first come and talk to you, you're all a bit starstruck. And they say to you, just keep working when they're talking to you. You know, when the judges are talking to you, when Nola Sandy are talking to you, just keep working. Don't stop. Just talk to them while you're working. But of course, that doesn't really pan out. Like even for the first few episodes, every time they come and talk to you, you just sort of stop working and you're deer in the headlights. And I had to uh, re-roll my pastry and it was a new oven. And uh, yeah, the first bake did uh did not go to plan it just everything went a little bit wrong in the first one and my biscuits ended up being quite tough and a little bit underbaked and um 
yeah, I was I was a nervous wreck for that first challenge. All I wanted, as I said, you know, you just don't want to mess up straight away. You don't want. To, and uh, I was sort of absolute nervous wreck. I remember that Prue turned round to me as we were sort of between the judging. She sort of said to me, like, are you all right? Do you need, you know, I think you need to calm down because I was sort of almost on the verge of a panic attack before judging. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I was very, very nervous. And I just thought I really need this to go well. And uh, the first one did not go well. And uh, when they uh, they sort of asked me after the first challenge, how did it go? And I, I, <laughs> I think I was almost on the verge of tears because you just you just want to, you know, get a solid one under your belt to make you feel confident. And when that didn't happen to begin with, that was that was quite, quite devastating. So I was very pleased that I was able to turn things around fairly swiftly from there. Yeah, you did turn things around swiftly, if I remember rightly. You had a strong performance in the technical, which was Wagon Wheels. And then your showstopper in week one is quite well remembered, I guess is the best way of saying. And maybe you can remind listeners why it was well remembered. At the time, were you aware this may be a thing in terms of you'd made this baby in a blanket, which could have by some be viewed as something slightly different? Did you realise at the time that was a thing? It's it's funny because there are things that you don't think, you know, like you see a distilled, um, you know, one one hour odd of footage from an entire weekend. And there are like moments that you assume will go into the show that don't make into the show. And there are moments that you assume are nothing that in the context of the show become like a, a big moment. I remember Karen talking about it last week on your podcast with her eating crisps. Didn't even give it a second thought that that would be a thing. And it became a, a big thing. And I remember Noel came around and spoke to me and sort of said halfway through that challenge, do you think maybe you should put a face on that on that baby? And I was like, no, it's fine. I didn't think anything of it. And uh, but obviously people were connecting the dots even then that maybe it was a little a little suspicious. But I couldn't see the wood for the trees. I It didn't occur to me that it was anything else. But uh, quite a few people had uh, jokes to make about it straight away. Uh, not least Kim Joy, who pointed that one out on camera for us very kindly. <laughs> we saw you speak about how you'd spent a few years at home looking after the kids this felt like a way of almost paying tribute to them. It was a way of the audience knowing more about your backstory almost from the get-go, from episode one. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, there was there was a very good reason that they chose the Biscuit Selfie as the as the showstopper. It's sort of to, to introduce all the contestants to, to the public and here's, you know, a bit about me. And, you, you know, when you have kids, it's sort of, it's, well, as a stay-at-home parent especially, if you have kids, it's, it's your whole life. It's, you know, that's everything you do. You know, people often tell me that I'm a total baby bore and all I do is talk about my kids. And I sort of say, well, what else would I talk about? You know, it's my whole life. It's what I've dedicated myself to. And uh, everything revolves around them. And if I had to think of, you know, the most significant moment of my life, becoming a dad was was def was the moment. You know, it was that 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 was when everything changed. And. I'm so grateful for it and happy for it. And I've never looked back. Yeah, it's I don't know what else I would be celebrating in my life. You know, I've done two significant things in my life. Have a family and go on the Great British Bake Off. That's been it. <laughs> so in terms of the show and things you might have been aspiring to do during it, getting a handshake, I assume, and you mentioned was one of the key things you were hoping to do. 
Was it week three, your first one? I remember there was a Spice Chelsea bun. And I wonder at the time, did you think this is actually very good? Maybe I do deserve a handshake for this. Well, actually, Josh, week two, I got a handshake. So I got handshakes for my signatures in week two, week three and week four. And I was the first contestant to ever receive three Hollywood handshakes, which I was very proud of. I think the public were like, oh, there's too many handshakes now. But Rahul also got three handshakes ultimately. But I was the first contestant to ever get three. And I'm very proud of that. But it was, yeah, that was great for me because, you know, most of the the showstoppers are, are, are one thing. But the signatures are sort of everyday baits. You know, the things that people actually make on a regular basis, you know, not a biscuit chandelier or whatever. You know, it's a regular bake that people make. And to do so well in the signatures was was amazing because I, um, you know, I'm one of these people who just is constantly striving for things to be better in any way they can possibly be when I make them. So to get such praise for, for sort of the, the regular baking was a real thrill for me. And it was, it was, that was sort of the validation that I was going into it for, you know, the, the validation when people say, Oh, this is incredible. You know, when you're at home and you go and you do it on the bake off and you get someone like Paul Hollywood saying, yeah, you, you nailed this one. You know, the validation is obviously is, is lovely. And I was living for that. So yeah, getting those, those, those Hollywood handshakes was, was amazing. I was delighted. I remember in week four, you got the handshake for the roulade and you rightfully went on to be star baker that week. At that point, were you looking around the tent thinking, I can go really far here. I mean, I know Rahul was doing really well and he'd had two star bakers at at that point. Was it hard not to start thinking about getting towards the end? Yeah, I think, well, when I'd, so I'd had a, so my shining moments in Bake Off were sort of weeks two, three and four, where I'd done pretty, you know, I'd sort of done very, very well in weeks two and three. And then in week four, I won star baker. And I had sort of, I'd been doing consistently well for a while. And I sort of, you take it week by week, but when you're sort of on a on a very good run, you're sort of thinking, oh, I could actually do well here. Like I could actually do all right, you know, and, you know, we chat behind the scenes and people sort of thought, you know, everyone can gets a sense of who's doing well and who's sort of buckling under the pressure. And at that time I was doing very well. And I should also say everyone on that show is a good baker. It's the the in, the success more more than other things often comes down to sort of the the sort of the mental strength to 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 be able to cope under the pressure and you will find that with a lot of people that um who've been on the show is it's not that they that they had they don't know how to make a certain thing it's just over time the pressure builds up and things start going wrong and people just sort of unravel under the pressure and and that's sort of that's sort of where you can easily slip up and i'd been having a really solid few weeks and then then it was going great but uh it's unfortunately it didn't quite last as i'd hoped but uh for the time that i was doing well i was doing very well so i'm i'm very proud of that and i think uh you know i i showed that i know what i'm doing which was which was my main concern going into it that I wouldn't that I wouldn't come across as a competent baker and I think I got to have those few weeks where I did very well and I I think I I proved that I can bake so that's that's lovely I assume there are some weeks you're looking forward to more than others 
So was pastry week one that you were concerned about? Did you do less preparation? It just seemed that we saw a slightly different Dan in that episode. Without going into too much detail, um, we had, you know, I had one kid in school, one kid at home. You know, one kid was still two and a half. I was very, very busy in in my life. Uh, not a lot of time to practice anyway, but I've been sort of managing by staying up late and, you know, working very, very hard. As had everyone. Everyone was very busy. Um, life threw another spanner into the works that took some of my time away. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to sustain the level of work and practice that I had been able to in earlier weeks, which was very frustrating. And at the time, I found it very, very frustrating because I knew going into week six and even week five to some extent that I wasn't go, I wasn't ready, that I wasn't prepared. And um, as I said, you know, I mean, we, we went from very solid performances to just absolute unmitigated disasters and i think that was uh you know that was a case of not being prepared you know knowing i wasn't prepared not sleeping properly panicking the first thing goes wrong you sort of mentally spiral um so yeah that, i mean it was an absolutely unmitigated disaster week six there's no other there's no other way to look at it sadly um but yeah it was it was it's a combination of life getting in the way and just the relentless pressure and work just becoming overwhelming and if you look at this is not uncommon this is a very very common thing that happens if you look at um, the latter stages of the competition, you'll often see people just inexplicably falling apart. And this is, I think this is the result of just people working at 100% capacity for so long and just just not being able to keep up the workload. So yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was frustrating. But you know, as I said, I, I, I had my good moments, I had my, my run of luck, um, where things went really, really well. So although, you know, we I got that moment where I, I don't know if it made it to air, actually, but I was sort of having a bit of a teary moment after day one and just sort of saying, you know, people are going to think I can't bake. And it's it's sort of it's devastating. <laughs> I think that's it's not so much about getting to the next week. It's for, well, for me anyway, it's about it's devastating to feel like you look incompetent. Um, so that was that was heartbreaking part of, of week six for me um, is that I just I felt like I'd made myself look incompetent, like I didn't know what I was doing. But hopefully I had enough good moments before that, that pe people can see that, you know, it was just a bad week. And, you know, I, I do know what I'm doing. So we saw in your series, Dan, that, for example, with Terry, who had to miss a week with illness, real life can get in the way and different factors can affect different contestants. Just hypothetically, you know, we're obviously in this lockdown at the moment and I have no idea whatsoever what Love Productions plan or plan not to do with Bake Off in this coming year. And I'm sure like with all entertainment and TV, it's going to be really difficult for them to, to make the show work, but I, I hope they can. But hypothetically speaking, let's say Bake Off, they didn't have time to film it over 10 weeks and they had to do this in like an intense three or four week period. Do you think you'd have liked that? Would you have got into the zone or would it just be far too intense and it's not realistic to film it in a shorter period of time? Uh, I don't think that's realistic. Well, look, as Bake Off has gone on over the years, like if you watch the early season, the bakes were not simple, but they weren't sort of massively complicated. You know, they weren't sort of, you, you know, like they weren't biscuit chandeliers or, you know, something, something crazy that, 
you know, became more of a structural engineering project than baking, quite frankly. I think if they wanted to squeeze all of uh, the, you know, to, to crank out another series this year, um, it's possible, but they would either have to show it later in the year or get their editing team very fast on it, or they would have to settle for slightly more simple bakes because the amount of practice that's required, the amount of thinking that's required to produce some of the showstoppers is is quite astronomical it's you know it's not you didn't just sort of make the first thing that that pops into your head your designs will go through several iterations you know you have an idea oh does this actually work in real life you make it oh i can't do this in the time let me change it so the idea that they would well actually well it depends how long they've got to do the recipe development I don't know. I'll be fascinated to see what they do this year. It would be a real shame to have a year go by when we don't have a bake-off. But yeah, I don't know how they'll manage it. I really don't. It'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to finding out. Watching you leave the show, Dan, it looked quite emotional for you. And you said, sometimes as a stay-at-home parent, you don't get to do much, but it's been nice to do something for me. So is that how you felt when all was said and done? You'd been Star Baker... You'd got three handshakes. Did you feel a sense of pride when you were heading back to London, having gone out of Bake Off? Um, a real mixed bag, to be honest. It, what I said when I left the show was, you know, as, as a stay-at-home parent, you don't always get to feel sort of special or important, you know. And when you sort of spent the last five years, you know, at the risk of being indelicate, cleaning up poop and puke and washing clothes and, you know, for all as much as the time that you love spending with your children, you know, sometimes you don't get to, you know, to have a life outside of looking after your children. You don't get to, you know, when you get to a dinner party, you don't have anything interesting to talk about other than your your children. You know, you don't. So to take part in something like the Bake Off was was really exciting for me because it, it gave me something to talk about and something that was just for me. Uh, something that was that, that was just mine and something I did by myself without reference to my to my family. So it was something that sort of gave me a, a sense of identity. And with my, you know, my youngest sort of looking at starting school that September, it was sort of it, it represented an opportunity for me to potentially do something new. I think, you know, if you talk to anyone who's been a stay at home parent, you know, when the, the kids sort of move on into school, there's that feeling of, well, you know, well, now's my chance to do something, something with my life. You know, maybe you get a part time job, whatever you decide to do. And that's sort of one of the reasons that I did Bake Up. I thought, well, if I do a good job of this, maybe this will be an opportunity for me to do do something involving baking, something that involves something that I'm really passionate about, something I really, really love. Maybe it will represent a chance to to do something in that field. So it's it was ultimately at the time it was very disappointing because I sort of thought, well, I've I've unfortunately been been uh, been booted off the season too early for me to be able to make anything of this. And I think that's uh, something that a lot of people think, you know, I listened to your podcast with Karen and she thought very much the same. She thought, Oh, well, I've, I've left too early. There'll, there'll be no chance for me to do anything with this. Um, but that's not, not been borne out at all, actually. Um, you know, there are plenty of people who do very well in the competition and don't decide to do anything with it. And there are plenty of people who leave fairly early in the com- competition and do decide to do things with it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm still at home with the kids. I'm still spending the majority of my time with the kids, but I do recipe development for brands. I teach classes that bake with a legend. I do lots of little fun things 
that baking sort of gives me an identity with, that gives me something that I love to do. So at the time, I was pretty disappointed because I thought the things, the fun things that I'm going to want to do, I'm not going to be able to do. But actually, I was able to do them. Um, so it's it's sort of it's a mixed bag. When I look back at Bake Off, it's sort of such a weird mixture of very happy memories and very positive outcomes and sort of very sad memories. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's almost impossible to encapsulate how how the whole thing was. It was a re- it was a real tumultuous time. It was on some levels a bit of an ordeal, but at the end of the day, a real a real net positive. You know, it's sort of it was one of the biggest emotional roller coasters I've ever been through in my life. But it's, uh, you know, looking back, I, I wouldn't undo it for the world. You know, when you came off the show, Dan, I wonder if you'd been on social media before. And by the way, for anyone listening, your Instagram is a, a beautiful feed of all the lovely things that you bake. But I wonder, were you on things like Twitter before the show? Because if I may, it seemed like you got quite active quite quickly whilst your series was still on and you mentioned earlier that you were aware you may encounter some negativity or some abuse um, for being on the show but you seem to respond to some of that that came your way from memory of it and I just wanted to know if you couldn't help yourself or how you look back at that period. Uh, well yeah so I wasn't really active on social media before i mean everyone has a facebook page don't they or but that's all your friends you know and i wasn't really very active on twitter and i didn't really have a sense of what a what a vicious place it can be and they do sort of say oh they sort of give you some advice about you know be careful on social media whatever but um it was to be honest i think i was on i was on lookout i was expecting to get some negativity yeah, with hindsight, I probably should have just left some of it alone because you risk giving oxygen to to the fire if you if you get involved with it. I was very nervous and defensive about what about what might be said. So, you know, I was sort of uh, I was ready to respond, and maybe you know, looking back, maybe I shouldn't have responded as much as I did. But it was you know, it's quite upsetting. It's not so much when you know, not everyone's going to like you. But, uh, you know, when people are sort of misrepresenting your character or threatening you with violence or, you know, casting unseemly aspersions about you, it's it's quite difficult not to not to feel upset about that. Um, But those things, fortunately, they they sort of occurred while the show was on. But since the show has ended, I've discovered that social media is a much more pleasant place. And although it's perhaps not a place you should spend too much of your life, it's not it's not so bad now as it was when it was on television. And I think the thing to remember about Bake Off or any show that's sort of this sort of size is it's not just a baking competition. It's also a moment in culture. And it's it's a, a something that people want to comment on and people like to have opinions on. And, you know, they have an opinion on a presentation that they see, a distillation of 10 minutes of you on screen that is, you know, selected by a reality TV show once a week. You know, they don't really know you. So, you know, in, in hindsight, you understand that they're not really seeing a full picture of you they're just seeing what what they're being shown but at the heart at the time it's very hard or i found it very difficult to distance myself from me and the perception that people had of me and not really uh, perhaps appreciating that those two things are very different and feeling quite quite upset about it but as i said you know i was i was on alert i was on the lookout for it 
and um yeah if maybe maybe things that would have been different if i hadn't been quite so sensitive about that sort of stuff in the first place so a lesson for other bakers maybe one one thing i did do was when i saw bakers from this year commenting on twitter on on negative stuff about them i contacted them myself to sort of say listen don't engage it didn't it doesn't work out just leave it alone and um you know i've i've satisfied myself that if I can help other people to not have to uh, exacerbate the problem, then uh, that's something positive I can do. I think that's very kind of you, Dan, and very balanced at the way that you look back at it. I just wonder, Dan, would you have any advice for someone listening who perhaps believes they're a good amateur baker, they would like to go on the show? Would you have any advice for people thinking about applying? Ooh. If, um, ah. Uh. If I was to advise anyone uh, taking part in the show, I would just say, be aware it's a TV show. I think like that's the honest advice I would give. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I didn't really give much consideration to the fact that it was a TV show. To me, it was just a baking competition. And, uh, you know, there's a lot more to it than just the baking. You know, I, for example, I didn't think up any witty things to say in my um, interviews. You know, I didn't sort of have a plan of how I was going to present myself or anything like that. I just went in being myself and just worrying about the baking. There's, there's other things to consider, maybe, you know, as to sort of being more cautious about I probably would have just been a bit more cautious about the things that I'd said. Anyone who knows me in real life, you know, knows that I'm sort of quite irreverent, quite sassy. I'll just say whatever's on the top of my head. And I think if I'd have gone into it knowing what I know now, I might have just been in a little bit more cautious to not say everything that springs to my mind. But with regards to the baking, I think the best advice I could give, which sounds completely counterproductive, but it's counterintuitive rather, but it's it's true, is I would say don't overthink things because almost inevitably the people who go home every week, it's not that they can't bake, it's because they overthought things, got into their own head, sort of got into a spiral of panic and, you know, anxiety that made them make, low, make mistakes and, you know... Th- it's almost an impossible ask, but the, the the real trick is to just not get overwhelmed. Um, but as you say, when you're thrust into that circumstances, it's, it's it's kind of almost impossible. Um, but that is that is the best advice I would give for the people who are taking part in the show: is don't overthink it, don't take on too much, and just try not to get overwhelmed. And at the risk of sounding cruel, because somebody will get overwhelmed and panic every week, and as long as you're not that person, you'll probably make it quite far. <laughs> and just finally Dan it seemed on the show that you had a good friendship with John I wonder are you still in touch with him in touch with others from your series or even others from the wider Bake Off fraternity so we don't like chat every day like we used to you know life moves on you know like your university buddies you don't chat to them any as as much as you used to anymore Um, we're all sort of courteous and friendly I think the people I probably get on with the most lately is actually Manon, which is curious because we we were friendly, but not not especially close during the show. Um, but now we get on quite well, and she lives two streets away from me in London now, so uh, we see each other every now and then, go around for coffees. 
Um, but yeah, I still speak to Karen. I get on great with Karen. I speak to Kim Joy. I speak to, you know, Luke. I speak to, I speak to various people. Um, but it's, it's sort of the great thing about Bake Off is it's kind of like, you know, it, people say, oh, it's, it's like a family. And that, that's kind of true. And it's not just in your series. It's kind of across, across the whole show. And, you know, whereas you might be nervous going up to someone you've seen on television and saying hello, the great part about being part of the Baker family is you can go up to anyone from any season and we all know who each other are. And, you know, I can go up to Jane when I see her at a, at a food show and say hello. You know, <laughs> so um, it's 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 lovely. It sort of it's it brings you into a very select group of people. And we have this shared uh, common experience and we we know what each other goes through to be in here and how hard we work to be there and it's sort of it's it's a lovely little fraternity to belong to so it's uh yeah it's not just your your season it's sort of it's every everyone across the seasons gets to enjoy this connection and this this special shared experience so that 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 part of it is really genuinely lovely yeah that is lovely and it comes across when you talk to so many of the former contestants dan just before we go where can listeners keep up to date with you on social media if they want to follow what you're up to sure i mean i'm on mainly instagram and twitter i'm dan beasley harling on twitter on instagram and i'm d beasley harling on twitter i couldn't fit in my whole name it's the problem of double barreling your name you can never fit it in the space um but yeah i'm about to search for me by name and i'm um i'm always baking things putting it on uh, on instagram and saying inappropriate things on twitter and uh when i can making recipes and doing classes for bake with a legend so yeah i'm about come and say hello Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Dan tell his story about getting on the Great British Bake Off and hearing a little bit more about the experience through his eyes. Dan, as he mentioned, does hold classes with us at Bake With A Legend. So if you are interested in that, then head to our website, www.bakewithalegend.com. And if you have any queries or questions, it's info at bakewithalegend.com. As I mentioned at the start of this podcast, we are holding online events. So if you'd like a baking class over Zoom, that is something we can arrange at the moment. And we can do that for private groups or we do have public classes that anyone can sign up to. So we look forward to seeing some of you at our classes and we'll be back with another podcast very soon. Take care. You just heard a stripped media production. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.